You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Hear now the word of our Lord. He said, What is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And he said, and again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. The word of our Lord. Please be seated. Well, we're going to start with a little bit of a test to see um, how many of you know this conversation from this movie, from this scene right here. Can we put that up? Do you know that? All right. Trying to see generationally here who knows what. Kids or grandkids might know this. This is um, from the movie Shrek. This is actually the first one, and that's Shrek and the very cleverly named Donkey, uh, Donkey in the uh, in the movie. And they're having this is they're having a conversation, and um, Shrek is loving Princess Fiona, and so he loves Princess Fiona, and he's trying to explain it to Donkey, and it's. He's talking about how complicated it is, and there's this Lord Farquaad guy, and he's in the middle of the whole thing, and so he's trying to explain this is complicated, and um, and uh, and Donkey's trying to make it very simplistic, and then Shrek finally, I don't know why this scene came to mind, by the way, with what I'm about to tell you, but whatever. Um, Shrek finally just said, ogres are complicated, and he says, ogres are like... And if you remember, they're walking through this, he's just grabbing onions and eating them, and he says, ogres are like onions. And then Donkey has all these theories about what that means. They're, they're smelly, they're, you know, and he goes through the whole list. And then Shrek finally just says, no, they're layers. Onions have layers, ogres have layers. He says, it is not as simple as you might think. Now, what he's not doing is he, he is not saying um, what an ogre is, is an onion, he is saying one aspect of what an ogre is like is like an onion. Jesus is about to talk about the kingdom of God, and one of the mistakes that we can make is as he compares it to something that we go, the kingdom of God is this. And that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is the kingdom of God is like this. In other words, he's not trying to define it. He's trying to describe it. Shrek is not trying to define what an ogre is. He's trying to describe one aspect of what ogres are like. And it's actually very important as we look at this text. When Jesus says in verse 18, it says, he said, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? So he's not about to define the kingdom of God. He's about to describe the kingdom of God, which means that he's assuming they already have some idea of what the kingdom of God is, and he's been talking about it, and he's been preaching about it for quite some time. But it means for us today, we have to know what the kingdom of God is, and then we'll see what Jesus is actually describing about the kingdom of God. And then I hope that you will be like me as you look at this and just start to marvel at the fact that this was written 2,000 years ago and we just see the same patterns he's talking about over and over and over and over and how relevant it is for today. So let's pray as we look at this together. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word today, would you speak from 2,000 years ago to us even today by the power of your Holy Spirit. 
Thank you for this text that you have superintended for us, for our good, and may we learn from it and have the courage to obey and to follow. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the question that we got to start with is, what is the kingdom of God? And I'm going to, there are seminary courses on this. I'm going to do it as quickly as I can and give you a very rough overview, which is quite simply, if you're going to have a kingdom, then you have to have a king. So the kingdom of God is the place where God rules and reigns. And so we know this a couple ways. We know this from a future visible kingdom that will one day come. So in Revelation chapter one, it says this, behold, he is coming on the clouds. Every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. That there is a future visible kingdom of God that will be coming. Philippians two, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That he is Lord, there's a future kingdom that is coming that will be visible. But what he's saying also is it is also a present reality. There's an element to it that is present. So there's an unseen reality that God is ruling and reigning right now. In fact, you know what I I, I love? Um, There were, um, there's a lot of documents about this. It shows up in the Old Testament too. There were rulers in the day. You can think of the pharaohs from Egypt. You can think of um, Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, Artaxerxes in Persia, Darius in Persia. And um, they had two things that they really, really strongly believed. They believed they, the kings were divine, which means that they were also immortal, that they would live forever. And they didn't believe that they were just the king over their people. They believed that they were kings over all the earth over all the people, over all the nations of the world. And so they would say that they're immortal, which is really interesting when you go back and you look at history. Like you can literally see Persian kings that would declare their own immortality and then they would die. And the next guy would be king and then he would declare his immortality and then he would die. And then the next one and he would die. And you just like see this start to happen and you just go, at some point I feel like you guys should catch on that you're not immortal. But they kept saying every new king. But the other title that they would bestow on the king, because he was not just king over his people, he was king, they thought, over all the other kings in the world, they would call him king of kings. They would take the title or lord of lords. And what we see, especially in the New Testament, is that title is taken and applied to Jesus. Watch this. 1 Timothy 6. I charge you, but this is Paul writing to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ, who is in, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. So a future coming of Christ. And then it says, he who is the blessed And only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has, present tense, immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And then Revelation chapter 17, they will make war. These are the bad guys. They'll make war on the lamb. The enemies of God will make war on the lamb. The lamb will conquer them. Why? For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. 
then it says later in Revelation 19, John says, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse, the one sitting on it called faithful and true and in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like the flame of fire. This is referring to the second coming in judgment. And on his head are many diadems and he had a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. These are nations that oppose him and he will rule with a rod of iron. Um, That sounds like he's being harsh. It really is just the, the permanence of his kingdom. Iron was something that would last. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he had his name written. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So you have multiple times, they are referring to Jesus as the eternal King of Kings and Lord of Lords in this moment. And then a future time, his kingdom will come. It will be visible and will be established forever. This is kind of the ultimate, I told you so. This thing that I told you that's happening, that Christ is ruling and reigning right now, one day you're gonna see it. That's what he's saying in this text. In other words, God right now is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Whether or not we think that, whether or not we perceive that, whether or not when we look out at the world, it, boy, it sure looks like things are trending that way, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a God who rules and reigns right now. And this is an invitation to be part of his kingdom right now. There's a God who reigns. So there's an element of the kingdom of God right now. And what he's gonna say next is he's gonna describe an aspect of this kingdom of God. This, um, the church are the people that are part of the kingdom of God. I mean, think about that for a minute. This is a, the kingdom of God transcends language barriers, doesn't care if you have a ton of money or no money. It doesn't care your ethnicity, your skin color. It doesn't matter the borders that you happen to live between, your education level, anything. Just ask, we had our Tanzania team go, a couple of them are here today. Go ask them if it transcends borders. Does it ever. Ken Williams always used to say that, um, former pastor here, Ken Williams, always used to say that you have more in common with your brother and sister in Christ across the world in Tanzania than you do with your non-Christian next door neighbor because you're part of the same kingdom. It's amazing to go over there and to go really any place, just meet other Christians and just start to see how they think and act and go, oh yeah, we're brothers and sisters. We're together. We're part of this kingdom of God. And so the question, this is what Jesus is about to answer is how did this gospel message, how did this church or how did this kingdom go from basically 12 people, one of whom betrayed Jesus, to billions of people and be this thing that transcends all these different things we just talked about? Why did that work? And at the same time, you have other, I hate to lump Christianity in with just other religions, but you have some religions that need um, governors to keep it in place. They have to have a legal system and borders and be declared the official uh, religion of a nation or of a people. Christianity doesn't have that. Christianity says we have one head and it is God Almighty. What Jesus is gonna say is there's two traits about the kingdom of God. This is what I wanna show you here today. Two traits about the kingdom of God. That there is almost imperceptible growth and that it is an unstoppable force. There's imperceptible growth and an unstoppable force. Look at this. Um, He says, 
He just said, what's the kingdom of God like? To what shall I compare it? And he says, it's like the grain of a mustard seed. Verse 19, that a man took and sowed in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air made nest in its branches. Now, this is not talking about just, um, like I think about hummingbirds, you know, like my first experience, we were from Texas and we came out to something in Colorado. My first experience with hummingbirds, my kids were little and they would sit there and do this and these hummingbirds would come and like, you know, sit on them. He's not thinking hummingbirds. We see hummingbirds land on branches. I almost feel like the branch goes up when they land on it. They're so light. That's not what he's talking about. When he says the birds of the air, he says, here's an opportunity for worship, friends, that you can get out and you can look in nature and you can see a tree that is just just has tons of birds of different sizes and shapes and weight just all throughout it. And often you look and go, it's like all that weight on the tree, it's not even affecting them. And it started like this. And now there it is. It's an opportunity for worship. And what he's trying to say is, yeah, there's 12 of us. This thing's going places. And he gives another example too. It says, and um, to what, again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. To give you an idea of what it's saying, it's saying basically the same thing, that it goes from something small to something big. The best conversion that I could do says this is about 22 liters of bread. And when it says she hid some leaven in it, it's a a flour. It's a very, very tiny piece and a bunch of flour and it starts to leaven and leaven and leaven over time. But have you ever planted something and then just decided to sit there and watch it? Or watch bread rise? I know now there's ways it gets sped up, obviously, but just to sit there and watch, that's watching the old paint dry kind of thing. It's this imperceptible thing. The growth of the kingdom of God is imperceptible and unstoppable. That's what he's trying to communicate. Real quickly, let's talk about those. Imperceptible. If you think about what they wanted in that day, it's similar to what we wanted, by the way. Um, They wanted a big splash. They said the Messiah is going to come, oh good, overthrow Rome and everything is going to be fine. They wanted a big splash, which is kind of how we work too, not necessarily overthrow our government, Jesus, but no comment. Um, never mind. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to walk into that. We're not maybe thinking that. No, we're not going to. Okay, we're not going to talk about that. Um, sorry. So, so they're talking about overthrow Rome. They're evil. Overthrow them and reign and rule right now. Okay, so they thought this was this um, victorious conquering king warrior that was going to come in and take care of it right then. And Jesus says, I have a different way of growing my kingdom. I'm going to get these 12 guys, fishermen, people that don't even like each other, some people that had different backgrounds. One of them is going to betray me, and I'm going to get you and invest in you for a few years, and this kingdom of God is going to go from this little seed, all of a sudden this unstoppable force all over the globe. Jesus says, I'm going to build my kingdom another way. We, we love like flashy things in our culture too. Like I'm kind of joking about the Jesus being president. Like I'd vote for him. Don't get me wrong. Um, but uh, uh, we, we like the, the flash. We like the big stuff. And if you watch the methods that Jesus used is so often, it was just individual, 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 individual. That doesn't really make the papers a lot when we do that. I worked in... Um, um, 
I was a student pastor for years, and when we did it, we would do a big camp every year, and it was, it was great, and there were 400-something kids that would come to this thing, and we'd bring in a band, and spent way too much money on it, but it was great, and we'd bring in all these leaders. They would give up like a week of their lives to come and to just be counselors in the cabins with these students and invest in them, and I mean, every single time, year after year after year, the last night of camp, after taking these kids for a week and saying, we're gonna rip you away from your phones, we're gonna rip you away from your friends, and you're gonna be out here surrounded by Christian influence every single time. I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna live for the Lord no matter what. And you go, yes. And then you check in with that kid about a week later. And they, sometimes they didn't even remember the conversation. Sometimes it stuck. But a lot of times it was, if you've grown up doing camps, kind of the camp high, and then it would sort of drop. And we still did it because it did have an effect and we do think it was still formative for students along the way. But I started realizing like this breaks my heart. And what made it even harder was if we said, let's not do that anymore and let's, do, let's just get groups and let's get relationally investing in kids. Let's do like real intentional one-on-one kind of discipleship. There'd be parents that would go, oh, but, but hang, hang on, we liked the big camp thing. Like my kid wants to go to that and they wanna bring their friends to that. And it's not bad, like I'm a parent and I get it. I get it, but that's what we're drawn to a lot is that sort of flashiness. When I, work, I worked at a Christian summer camp for years, same thing would happen. And it was really a rush. And then you'd go meet with them throughout the year and you start to realize that they came off the camp high. But people like it, why? Because you do kind of get this instant gratification from it. I mean, I even think, I'll talk as a parent for a minute, I think of like, going to my kids' events, and I get to see them get an award. I get to see them perform. I get to see them get a hit. I get to see them make a basket, whatever it is. And I can immediately, I have have things to cheer about. And what Jesus is doing right here is the Christian life is not always like this game that everybody's rallied around and just cheering about. Sometimes it's just the imperceptible growth of one-on-one relationships of just your own personal spiritual growth, of relationships that you forge with others as you love the Lord more, you put yourself in the way of others and you help them to love the Lord more. It doesn't make headlines, but it's how the kingdom of God expands. This is why I think the hardest thing for churches, if you start reading the beginning of Revelation, the seven churches, he just keeps going, stay the course, stay the course. You've lost your first love. Why did you waver from the thing you were doing? Stay the course. I know it's hard. I know that everybody else is having fanfare and they're posting things now on social media. Everything's on social media and it feels like this church of Jesus Christ, the kingdom, like, is it working? And what Jesus is wanting to say is, yes, it is. There is imperceptible growth that happens over time. This is why if my kid comes home from church or you know, whatever it is, they do something, they go to a Bible study and they come home and they didn't really get much out of it that time. I kind of don't care. And what I mean by that is over time, we are so wired to think each and every time I need to have an aha moment. Instead of going over time, this is formative, this is meaningful. There is imperceptible spiritual growth individually and then is the kingdom of God in the world today. So think about it like this. Pick up your Bible one day and read it. And it might not seem like the heavens opened and you saw angels descending down to you. But then pick it up again the next day. And then the next day. And the next day. 
And what you'll see over time is you will see that you are a very, very different person if you do that for a year, two years, three years, over time, over time, over time. <clears throat> but as good Westerners, it's hard to wait. I really want to see it now. I really want to see it now. And each and every time I pick up my Bible, I want something to happen. Each and every time I go to church. I just did a wedding, um, actually last night. It was an outdoor wedding. And it was up on a, it was in Vail. It was a rough gig. It was up on a mountain in Vail. Um, it was actually like 70 degrees when it was like 40 and rainy back here. So haha, we were up in a beautiful mountain. It was like 70. We're doing a wedding. And whenever I talk to these couples that are getting married, um, <clears throat> I like to do stuff beforehand with them just to get to know them a little bit. And then Nikki will do that with me. And then um, uh, I'll meet with them afterwards. But one of the biggest questions that I have for them is, do you have a church? And like this couple last night, for example, they've just, they both graduated, they're young, they both graduated, they moved, they haven't settled into a church just yet. I said, I'd be glad to do the wedding, glad to help. Spent a lot of time just talking about, have you found a church? How can you find a church? Do you know what to look for in a church? And then I encourage them over and over, get in and be a part. And here's why. Because if you take a marriage, say this young couple that, that I married last night, that this young couple if you fast-forwarded five years and you said, don't go to church, don't be a part of God's people, or regularly be invested in a church, in God's kingdom here on earth, in, manifested in a local body, if you're a part of that over five years, you will look completely different than if you weren't. And that's the conviction. That's what Christ is talking about. That's the conviction that I have. And that's why it's so important when I'm talking with these young people to say, be a part. Be at church. Don't judge it each time by, by the experience. The Western church does this a lot, thinking every time somebody comes, we've got to give you a feel-good moment. We've got to, you've got to leave with a bunch of warm fuzzies. We've got to wow you every single time that you come here. And you can see what happens is, is you get like, you know, it's kind of like MTV and it's just like lights and everything. And, and, and part of that is we need to wow people. And then what happens is you're coming back for the wow of the experience instead of the wow of the gospel which the gospel message is the thing that should just stir our hearts and just bring us to our knees. And we gather together as God's people in this sanctuary that we have here to be a sanctuary from the world out there, to be able to listen to God's word, to be able to join our voices together to praise him and to leave uplifted because of what he has done. The growth of the kingdom is imperceptible. I wonder, um, I'm not gonna be able to finish this, I guarantee. I wonder how many, um, dang it, I wonder how many uh, decisions my kids have made. I know of one, I won't share it, but I know of one and it just about brought me to my knees when I, when I watched one of my kids with a very small thing, a little temptation, and they said no. And they don't even know that I know this. And I thought, way to go. Praise God. And you know how that happened? I, 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 praise God I got to even just see this little resisting of temptation. But I spent years investing. Nikki spent years investing. We have them around other Christians who have spent years investing. And part of it comes to that moment where for him to just resist that temptation was the logical step to take. Kingdom builders are usually not flashy people. They're unsung heroes. 
They're the people that sit on a carpet square with kids and share the gospel with them and tell them the Bible stories week after week after week. They're the people that keep inviting their neighbors over to be Christ to them over and over and over. Shouldn't I be doing more? Shouldn't I start a ministry? Shouldn't I start a nonprofit? Shouldn't I, shouldn't I, shouldn't I? And the way, maybe, but the way the kingdom is built is one person at a time. I have a real heart, especially for um, the next generation. That's one of the things that's really big for us here at Rockland. And I just need to tell you something that grieves me. Um, I'll speak as a parent. As parents, it's easy to look and think, um, how was my kid's individual experience being a part of the gathering, the youth group, the church service, you know, whatever it is. And there are so many other things in life that can give us instant feedback and instant gratification. Oh, wow, look, they're getting to be such, you know, such a better skier. Like, you can see that, and you can start to see that growth. Um, I'm really grieved. I've been talking to a lot of uh, my colleagues up here, especially up the hill and a couple down the hill. And you know what's happening with kids and students? None of them are going to church. I've looked and I've, uh, I came from big churches and I thought, wow, I feel like, why don't we have, you know, 200 kids or something like that? And I've started looking and I've just, and I've talked to other pastors and they've gone, I know, it's dark. It's, some of it is maybe parents just going, well, there's other things that are kind of drawing our attention. And then you get this thing where you go, well, there's not a lot of kids. So my friends aren't all there. So I don't know if I'm going to go. And, um, and so I, I'll have to be vague, pardon me, but what's happening right now is people are just shutting down their kids and student ministries. Do you know this is, like, this, is, this is real life in our midst. There's some where one guy, I happen to know, you won't know this church probably, but one guy's about to leave and they're just not gonna replace him. Because at some point you've gotta go, well, do we have enough to be able to afford a staff person to be able to invest in the lives of these kids? And so I'm watching what's happening and my heart is just breaking for this next generation. Can you imagine if we go, we're not going to invest in the next generation of Christians and we're gonna write them off? I see why we get here, but we shouldn't be. We've got a group of people here at Rockland that serve with kids. I, this isn't a big thing, a pitch to say serve with kids. Some of you can get on a, char, on a carpet square with children, and you ought to, to invest in them. You know, parents especially, but maybe more of you have been wondering, because we've got an open position in student ministry, we've got an open position in kids ministry, and we are actually right now looking for a family pastor that will take kids from families from birth to 18. This is what I actually did at my last church, and I, I loved it. To be able to work with families to go from birth to 18 to say, how do we spiritually form these kids, the next generation of believers, the next generation that's gonna be sitting in these chairs in 20 years? How do we shape them? How do we form them? We're looking for somebody right now to do that. We're searching and we're praying that God brings somebody that will take us to help. This, this thing that's happening up here on the hill, just, it just so grieves me. And I just, I don't know, I can't write off the next generation. And I don't just say that as a dad, I say that as a believer in Jesus Christ. That's our job. But it's incremental growth. This is an unstoppable kingdom as well. I said it earlier, if it looks like evil is winning, know that there is still a sovereign king ruling and reigning. One of my favorite psalms about this is Psalm 2, where it gives the idea of all the, um, all the 
all the evil in the world amassing to come up against God. And it says, the God who sits in heaven laughs. It's evil taking its best shot. And God looks and says, that's cute. It would be like if I had a mosquito on my hand and I started to go like this to slap him and instead of flying off, he goes, you know what? All right, let's go. And he's gone. In one of my churches when I was back in Dallas, there was a woman named um, Martha Howard. Um, There's a picture of Martha. She passed away about four years ago. And let me just read the, um, the obituary. Martha Lou Montgomery Howard, mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, died on Friday, August 3rd, 2018, at home in the parsonage of Park City's Baptist Church, where she, that, which she designed and built in 1950. Her husband was the pastor there. <clears throat> Adored by her four children, 10 grandchildren, 11 great-grandchildren, and literally thousands of Sunday school children from teaching five-year-olds for 65 years. My kids had her. Um, Man, like near the end, um, when she was teaching, there were some men in the church that their ministry was, they would just help her get to church and then get her from the car and put put her in a little rocker that was that was there and she would basically just sort of sit and, and then it came time, they'd come over to her and um, she might read the Bible story or her big thing was teaching them the Lord's Prayer. She wanted all the kids to know the Lord's Prayer and so um, forget the curriculum, she was just gonna do the Lord's Prayer and so she just did it and none of the kids pastors said anything, you ain't messing with Miss Howard. And uh, <clears throat> 65 years of teaching five-year-olds and, and you, do, you just have to wonder was there ever a time in her mind where she was going, is this worth it? Like I, I talk about something and then I go snack time and they go, yay, snacks, and they run and get snacks and you go, do they even hear what I just said? Uh, I talked to a buddy of mine who was there, sorry, <clears throat> for the funeral service and he said, it's the longest funeral I've ever been a part of. And you could go online and you could read, um, you could write a note to her and you know what it was? It was, sorry, um, it was kid after kid that was now young man, young woman, or older man, older woman, or middle-aged man, middle-aged woman, that was there that was saying, I'm where I am today because of your class. And I know the Lord's Prayer today because of your class, because of the investment that you made in me. And the number one thing that got, sorry, that got said at the funeral was, um, I don't know if you can hear me. I don't know if you know what a difference you made, but you did. Kingdom of God has this imperceptible growth. Please don't minimize the investments that you have, the little deposits that you can make in the lives of other people. 